Oh, good morning, everyone. Thank you for uh, having us with you today. What a great treat to be in your presence. What a great treat to enjoy the love of the Lord uh, as we gather together this morning. What a treat to uh, have the young people, the enthusiastic young people. And I applaud what you do here to help bring them into uh, a confrontation with the Lord Jesus Christ and to know Him uh, as Savior. What a great thing. What a great ministry. Thank you for your concern and prayers for Christian missions in many lands. We know that uh, this part of Florida is keen on uh, sending missionaries, praying for missionaries, supporting missionaries. What a delight it was to meet uh, Tim and Yoli Stafford at uh, our missionary orientation program. And now they're serving the Lord faithfully uh, in Korea. That's a, that's a great thing. And we're uh, excited about the things that are happening uh, here. And as uh, Phil mentioned, we're excited too about Emmaus Bible College. Uh, my wife, Mary, was a graduate of Emmaus Bible School when it was in Oak Park, Illinois. And the Lord opened the door for that uh, uh, institution to relocate uh, to a much colder climate in Dubuque. Don't let that scare you away. It's a wonderful community, and uh, it's wonderful to see uh, young people come and study uh, God's Word. It's a great, it's a great thing. It's one of the regrets in life that I have. Um, as I look back, if there was one thing that I could change, one amongst many things, but one thing, if there was one thing I could change, it would be at least spending one year uh, being well-grounded in God's Word. Emmaus Bible College is an excellent alternative for that kind of study. And now they've expanded to have other uh, degree programs, uh, and that uh, is exciting as well. When uh, we were at Emmaus just recently, one of the initiatives, and Phil alluded to it this morning, is the initiative to try to make it affordable. And we, Phil, you'd be interested to know this, we sent out to our missionary parents by way of email, especially those that have uh, graduates Within the next couple of years, we sent them the information that was provided to us to send on, and there's been a couple of inquiries uh, and, and, and actually an appreciation expressed uh, as they were looking for and praying about alternatives for uh, their young people. One of the four graduates that uh, Phil mentioned uh, out of the business program is an MK working for IBM, Isaac and Jetty. And uh, he actually interned with us at CMML to fulfill some of his uh, requirements that Emmaus placed on him. And the, door, the Lord opened the door for him to uh, go right into a very prestigious job with IBM in Dubuque, Iowa. So pray for Emmaus. Pray for CMML. Thank you for praying uh, for us and the th- kinds of things that we do. We had an excellent time uh, at the conference yesterday and also on Friday. Many of you were there. Thank you for coming. Thank you again for your interest in missions. In your Bibles, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark, cha- sorry, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And carrying on with the idea that this missions conference weekend here in South Florida... Dovetailing from the verse that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and have been saved, we are new creations. And I'd like us to look at an incident in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and learn the kinds of things that we can learn from Scripture as modeled for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a missionary. 
And my encouragement to us this morning is that our lights indeed would so shine. And we're looking at Mark chapter 5, reading at verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea and to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do you have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby in the mountain, and the demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea. About 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. And we ask the Lord to give his blessing on the reading of the scriptures this morning. You might say, what on earth are we going with this scripture? I mean, there's nothing encouraging here when you uh, start to visualize exactly what has just transpired in the reading of, of God's word. Well, the Lord was, in all likelihood, teaching his disciples. This occurred early in his ministry, and he was probably helping to train uh, his disciples. He had already demonstrated his power over nature, as we read in chapter 4, and here we see some incredible power over demons. Later on, he's going to be dealing with disease and further on, uh, even death. But I'd like us to look at a couple of insights in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, teaching his disciples, and in teaching his disciples, he's teaching us this morning. Insight number one, there's no place Jesus won't go. There's no place Jesus won't go. We notice from the scriptures that here he goes on the other side of the sea and immediately is met by a man dwelling amongst the tombs. Tombs are not attractive places at all. They're dark, lonely places. And in this particular uh, portion or region, uh, this would have been a hilly area where the earth would have been removed from the side of a hill, a dead body placed in, and then rocks piled up to keep the, the animals away from overtaking the carcass. We saw things like that in the Philippines, uh, Sagada, some of the mountainous regions, not too far from where Ken and Joyce are ministering, where they would, uh, the, the, the hilly areas and the crags and the rocks, they would simply place bodies in a coffin, and you today can still see these hanging coffins uh, amongst the crags of the rocks in Sagada. They're not attractive places. Not like we know cemeteries today. Boy, we can go and visit cemeteries, and in many ways, they're, they're, they're much more attractive. Uh, manicured lawns, flowering trees, 
quiet, sacred, meditative kind of place. In fact, in Manila, the largest overseas cemetery, the Manila American Cemetery and Memorial, with more than 17,000 graves of U.S. personnel killed in World War II, spreading over 152 acres, it really was a beautiful place. It was a place that we would often go. We would go there because it was a quiet place. It got us out of the, the rush of the city, the noise, the, the, the din of the city. Uh, it was a wonderful, quiet place. We went there because it had nice green grass that we could walk on. We went there because there was an American flag flying in the midst of a country outside of the United States. You almost wanted to be there. We took guests who came to visit us to the Manila American Cemetery. But the place that we're talking about here in Scripture was nothing like that. The graveyards, the cemeteries, the tombs, they tend to be things that frighten us. People resist places like nursing homes. People resist homes for the aged. People resist going into prisons. People resist going into hospitals. It's never comfortable going into a funeral home. It's not comfortable going to cemeteries. But I want us to understand this point. Jesus goes to the tombs. Jesus goes anywhere. Jesus goes everywhere in the least likely areas, the least attractive areas. The places that you and I would tend to avoid, that's where Jesus is. And then we have to look at who meets the Lord. This man is demon-possessed. He certainly exhibits characteristics of, of one being insane. Verse 5 tells us that he's taking sharp stones and he's gashing himself. And that he's doing this night and day. The Scriptures tell us that he was wailing at the top of his voice. Again, happening night and day. The Scriptures tell us that he couldn't be restrained. They would try to bind him with cords. They tried to bind him with chains. But this man was so strong that he busted through the chains and the cords. He had to have been a threat to family, to friends, to the community. And they put him out of the city to dwell amongst the tombs. You see, you can't hurt anybody there. They're already dead. Remove the threat and put them out of the city. Keep in mind, too, that in so doing, it just brought further anguish to this man. For a Jew to dwell amongst the tombs was most unclean. And perhaps that entered into some of the torment that this man was dealing with. And where others refused to go, that's where we find the Lord. Another insight. There's no power that he won't address. There's no place that the Lord won't go, but there's no power that he won't address. Most of us, most of us, would not want to confront someone as described like this man. I know I wouldn't. 
I can remember a day as a young kid at Camp Lai the, the closing Friday night campfire, I was working on staff at the time. I, w- I was still a young kid and very impressionable. And rumor had it that one of the campers had to be taken away in a straitjacket, fearing that this camper was demon-possessed. Now, you can only imagine the kinds of things that would go on in the mind of a young kid. I never did find out or have any resolution to the story, but it conjured up some things in my mind that were frightening. We don't often think about demon possession here in this country, but I can tell you that I have heard, you perhaps have heard stories from missionaries, stories that certainly would reference men and women that they witnessed as being possessed by demons. We can find out some things in Scripture, and our purpose is not to dwell on this this morning, but in verse 2, they're called unclean spirits. In other places, they're called deaf and dumb. In Luke 13, verse 11, a woman is referred to as having a spirit of infirmity, bent over for 18 years, and the Lord loosed her from her infirmity. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, demons are referred to as deceitful spirits. And then there's the reference of the doctrine of demons. In the Old Testament, demons are referred to as familiar spirits, evil spirits who become associated with certain people. We see here in our reading this morning from verses four and verses five, or verse four and five, that these demons possess supernatural strength, that they cause bodily harm and injury, perhaps even suicidal thoughts, dysfunctional characteristics of deep psychological problems. Verse nine tells us and suggests to us that this man was possessed by many. Spirits, legion, the, the, the term legion, my name is legion, would suggest upwards of four to 6,000. For in Roman terms, legion could approach four to 6,000 in number. The scriptures tell us that demons cause personality changes. They can change the voice of a person. But some of the things that we need to be reminded is that demons are not all-powerful. They cannot operate at will. Evil spirits know who Christ is and that they are subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. Their power is indeed limited. It's temporary. Matthew 25 and verse 41 reminds us that hell is the place reserved for Satan and his angels. That would be certainly his demons. But here we have the Lord Jesus Christ taking on the man... And the demons head on. Because Jesus is not afraid. He's not afraid to confront any power. And you and I, as those who know and love Him, we too need not cower in the face of evil. Let us be reminded that God is indeed with us. Let us be reminded that God is in us. And we need to stop behaving like we don't have the power or authority, for indeed we do. We need to take hold of that truth. We need to be reminded. And we also notice that Jesus doesn't enter into any kind of conversation with the devil. Look at verse 8, and I would again would just love to know the power with which this statement was delivered. 
Verse 8, For he had been saying to him, and this is the Lord talking to the man possessed with the demons. Verse 8, Come out of the man, you unclean spirits. You don't belong in there. This is my child, you foul spirit. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come out of him. Now, the Scriptures don't add all of that, but you can almost sense as one not afraid to confront power because there's no power that Jesus won't address. There's no place he won't go. Jesus is in the tombs or at the tombs. There's no power that he won't address. He confronts the devil head on. And in verse 9 he asks, what is his name? My name is Legion, for we are many. And then look what happens. Jesus sends them into a herd of pigs, 2,000 swine. Verse 13, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Can you imagine what that sight might have looked like? 2,000. I've seen, you know, we, we, we can ply the roads here and, and look off in the distance and see some animals grazing. But I've never seen, at least I don't, I don't think I've ever seen 2,000 at one particular point in place. They ran into the sea and drowned. You know, we might ask the question, what about the keepers of the swine? I wonder what was going through their minds. You know, somebody, perhaps a group of men, were making a pretty decent living at keeping and mending and tending these, uh, these pigs. And no doubt it represented a substantial investment. Scriptures don't tell us, but these could have been Jews who were helping serve the needs of the Greeks living. This region was the Decapolis, a, a, a legion or a, a city of ten, ten, ten uh, cities. Greek cities. Was there not another way that Jesus might demonstrate his power rather than wiping out a person's livelihood? You know, it's a question that we might ask, but it's one that's very difficult to answer. But I think we might be able to get yet another insight that in the economy of Jesus, it's always people over pigs. <laughs> it's always people over pigs. That's a wonderful truth. Jesus is always deeply committed to human beings over anything that you and I might possess. Let us grasp hold of the truth that Jesus is vitally more concerned about you, about an unsaved family member, about a, a neighbor, a, a co-worker. He's vitally more concerned about them than anything that you might possess. And that would be your home the car, the job that you have. You see, these are just things. And folks, things are expendable. And Jesus is willing to cast them into the sea in order to deliver loved ones. Ah, how thankful we are that we're more valuable to Him than swine. People are more important than animals. So there's no place that he won't go. There's no power he won't confront. There's no person that cannot be saved. Now the tendency would probably be 
And if we had a relative who was regularly mutilating themselves, shrieking, running around naked, we would just write them off. We would not invite them to any family reunions. We'd just send them to some isolated area and forget about them, not worry about dealing with them. But there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus firmly believes that this man is redeemable. He loves him. He lavishes his grace on him. He's willing to do his mighty work in this man. But let's face it, none of us wants to be around somebody who's going to be cutting himself and shrieking uncontrollably and running around naked like this man was. But Jesus transforms him. Even the pig keepers saw a transformation and all they wanted to do was to go back into the city and invite people to come and see what had happened. He says, you've got to see what's, what's happened out here. Come. This man, the one who was dwelling amongst the tombs, the one who was strapped up with ropes and chains, cutting himself with sharp-edged stones, this man who was running around naked, night and day, wailing uncontrollably, is now sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. We see that in verse 15. But look at the last part of verse 15. This is what's so astounding to me. This man who was once uncontrollable was now sitting, clothed, in his right man, and the townspeople were frightened. Now, something seems out of whack here. It, 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 that's what it says in verse 15. And they became frightened. You would have thought that they would have been frightened seeing him as he really was. But now he's sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were frightened. It's almost like saying, it's almost like saying, no one's going to be afraid of us as long as you're acting like you're a nut. You act like you don't have a plan. You act like you don't seem like you're getting along with anybody. And as long as you're doing that, no one's going to worry. No one's going to be afraid. But if you're sitting, clothed, and in your right mind, you're going to be a threat to just about anybody you know. I asked the question of myself, why were they frightened? Perhaps because, and the Scriptures don't really reveal this for us, perhaps because they saw the power of Jesus and what it did to this man, perhaps they were asking, boy, if he did that to this man, what's he going to do to me? Uh, the scriptures don't say that, so I, it's hard to speculate. The last insight. For every person that Jesus saves, he gives a purpose. So there's no place that he won't go. There's no power he won't confront. There's no person that can't be saved. And fourthly, for everyone that he does save, he gives a purpose. Now this man, and you can almost identify with this, this man, after years of torment, 
having been relieved of a legion of demons, wanted to join ranks with the Lord Jesus Christ. But folks, Jesus had a much better plan for him. Look at verse 19. Let's start at verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. Verse 19. And he did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. What a wonderful assignment. What a terrific assignment. But folks, it's got to be one of the hardest assignments for this man to have done. Had to have been. To go back and tell family and friends who knew me when I was out of control takes an immense amount of courage. But the Lord reminds him, don't tell them my story. You tell them your story. You tell them, your st- you tell them the good things the Lord has done for you. You declare the goodness of the Lord. Find some way to tell that story. Tell them how I transformed you in the tombs. And of course, we certainly recognize that by imploring him to stay in that region, it was a way to ensure that a good testimony remained. Okay, so what can we take away from this incident? We began by by uh, refreshing ourselves in the fact that as believers in Christ, we're new creations. And that as a, a, a fellowshipper and a walker with the Lord, you and I, in every sense of the word, are missionaries. We reiterated over the weekend that it, being a missionary includes right here in this local area. It doesn't necessarily mean to go overseas uh, or even move beyond this region. And as such, what can we take away as a purposeful encouragement from what we have read this morning? Well, let's be reminded that we're never, we're never too far gone for God's saving power. There may be some here this morning. I, I don't know. This is my first visit in a number of years here. But you may be identifying with the fact, man, I'm too far gone. There is just no way that God can save me. I'm, I, I've sinned too much. I've, sin is, is, is my nature. But certainly this account in Mark chapter 5 supports that one is never beyond God's saving power. This man was possessed by unclean spirits whose purpose was to utterly destroy this man, the one made in the very image of God. You know what? We probably can't comprehend just how vile this man was, how unclean his thoughts really were. And we can imagine, we can only imagine the nature of his behavior. Suffice it to say, it was an awful, awful situation. But how wonderful to see this man sitting clothed and in his right mind. And God can do the same with you today. Secondly, the Lord will not stay where he's not wanted. Look at verse 17. 
And they began, that would be the townspeople, and they began to implore him to leave their region. You see, the Lord had overpowered and subdued a man that they couldn't handle. They tried everything, shackles, ropes, chains, sent him out to dwell amongst the tombs. They could not overpower. They could not control him. But the Lord transformed this man. And in so doing, clearly upset the financial gain of the region. They witnessed this incredible transformation power. Perhaps they couldn't handle God's power, and so they implored the Lord to leave. Leave. It's too costly to have you here. And Jesus left. There's a powerful warning there for us. To be careful what we pray, because God just might grant our prayers. And then lastly, this is the one that I... Is encouraging to us all. We need to be ones to proclaim the good things the Lord has done. This man wanted to remain and travel with the Lord. We wouldn't blame him for his desire to do that. But he was given the great assignment to return to his place and tell his story about what the Lord had done for him. And you and I need to do the same. As we close our time together here this morning, do you have the Wherewithal to pray that to the Lord, that He would give you the opportunity to share the great things the Lord has done for you. Certainly this past week, there's been some good thing the Lord has done for you. Certainly in 2014, there's been something that the Lord has done for you that you can share with one another. What do you tell others? When they ask about the joyful life that you exhibit. Do you have something to tell when confronted with that question? May the Lord encourage our hearts this morning. Let you and I be determined to share with one another the great things that the Lord has done for us. May each of our hearts be encouraged this morning. But let's not just be hearers of God's word. Let's be doers of what he says. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for just these moments together and to look into your holy word and to glean from it the things that you want to speak to us this day. We're grateful, Father, that... In this event, you demonstrated that there was no place that you wouldn't go. Are there places, Father, that you want us to go that we might not be real excited about? Would you give us the courage to do and to go to those places? And, Father, help us to understand that you have given us the power and authority. In places of life where we might be afraid, because the Lord was not afraid, help us, Father, to also not be afraid. May we come to recognize that in spite of our sinful, vile nature, you long to see others come to you. There's nothing, no one, that's not redeemable. And Father, help us to understand our purpose in life to share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ with others. We're grateful, Father, for these moments together today. We ask for your blessing. As we dismiss, as we go, 
Help us, Father, to be the ones uh, to be used of you and to share the good things that you have done in our lives. For we give thanks in Jesus' precious, worthy, and holy name. Amen.